Welcome to The Mission Matters. The Mission Matters is a partnership of Missio Nexus and 1615 Missions Coaching, who have a shared passion to mobilize God's people to be a part of His mission. On this episode two of The Mission Matters, we will look at the recent sacrifice of the life of a Christian in a hostile situation. We'll consider how local church mission leaders can communicate about an event like martyrdom on a mission. More on this important issue shortly. This program is hosted by Matthew Ellison from 1615 Missions Coaching and Ted Essler, president of Missio Nexus. Our guest today is Pam Arlent, PhD. She is the global training and research leader and a member of the international leadership team of All Nations. All Nations is a global family on a mission to see Jesus worshiped by all the peoples of the earth. Pam previously served as a field missionary and Bible translator among an unreached people group and helped ignite a Jesus movement among them. She now trains and shepherds disciples who make disciples among neglected peoples of the earth. And with that, we begin this episode of The Mission Matters with Matthew Ellison and Ted Essler. Welcome to The Missions Matters podcast. I'm Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and I'm with my good friend and co-host, Ted Essler. Ted, it's good to be back with you today. Yeah, it's good to be back, Matthew. Uh, Glad we can do this again. Yeah, me as well. Hey, listen, before you introduce our guest and the matter at hand, I'm wondering about shelter in place. What has been most frustrating to you or challenging to you? And what has been a reflex blessing, maybe a silver lining? And then, Pam, we're going to ask you the same question. But so the challenge or the frustration brought on by shelter in place and then the blessing. I think probably the hardest thing for us has been uh, one of our daughters just bought a house. and She's in Louisville, Kentucky. And she's, you know, a young single woman. She's got all this home help she needs, and we haven't been able to be there for her. So we hope to rectify that soon, but that's probably been the hardest thing is to just hear about some of the projects that she's taking on without our assistance and help. We'd love to be there helping her. As far as blessings go, um, I can't say that I missed the travel that we were you know, on before. It was maybe too much um, as I'm thinking about and reflecting on it. Maybe I'm learning a little bit about uh, what I need to do to kind of meter myself in terms of the travel. It's really nice, much nicer to be home than I thought it would be. So that's my silver lining. Yeah. So for me, uh, one of the frustrations, it seems kind of petty, but I really miss the gym. Uh, I spent about four or five days in the week in the gym. It's, it's uh, kind of cathartic for me. It's a great way to just uh, have not only physical health, but mental health. That's probably the biggest reason I'm there. And I've been making do with some TRX suspension straps, but it's just not the same. And then my silver lining, it's really interesting. About a week ago, I played hide-and-go-seek in the dark at a local park with my adult children. (laughs) And it was just a rush. And having my kids around the dinner table, my wife and I were just talking because my kids are um, older and uh, they're here now at our house during, you know, shelter in place. And so we've just been sharing a lot of meals together. So I resonate with that uh, traveling less idea as well. I, I think I've missed some of those things, and, and I've been reminded of them because of the crisis that we're in. So, Ted, why don't you introduce our guest and then let her answer the same questions? Okay. Well, we're uh, really glad today to have Dr. Pam Arland with us. She has a Ph.D., and she's the Global Training and Research Leader. Um, also a member of the International Leadership Team of All Nations. And she uh, previously has served as a missionary and Bible translator 
among an unreached people group and helped ignite a movement among them. She now trains and shepherds disciples who make disciples among neglected peoples of the earth. So Pam, thank you so much for being with us. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you, Ted. Thank you, Matthew. I'm happy to be here. So tell us your challenge and perhaps your silver lining. Well, the challenge I think for us within all nations, because we're a global family, has been food, honestly. Um, a lot of our church planters around the world are not Westerners. And when the lockdown happened, it was very severe for them. And uh, they haven't simply haven't had enough food. Uh, the advantage to that or the golden lining to all of that is that God has provided for them. It wasn't at all obvious how they would be provided for, but he has literally made food multiply and provided food amongst their local resources. So that's been beautiful to see uh, because God is faithful in the midst of it all. And then also I think we've been able to see some of our leaders around the world be able to get online and share their wisdom in a way that we haven't been able to before. So that's been really good as well. Yeah, I do think that there's probably some new communication channels in place that we didn't have before. And I, th I do think we're going to get really sick and tired of virtual calls. Yeah. Yeah, they have opened up some doors that maybe previously we didn't have open to us. So that's probably been a good thing. Um, well, Pam, let me kind of kick off our topic today. We want to talk a little bit about a serious, maybe kind of heavy topic. And um, this, you know, obviously involves John Chow and his martyrdom and uh, some of the reactions that happen in the Christian community and et cetera. But maybe there are people listening that aren't familiar with John. And I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of insight as to who he was and what he did. Yeah, I'd be happy to, just in case people don't know his story, I maybe should sketch it out a little bit. But basically in November, 2018, All Nations missionary John Chow attempted uh, to live on the North Sentinel Islands for the purposes of sharing the gospel with a people group that have never heard the good news about Jesus. And in making that attempt to be received on the island, to be accepted onto the island, he was, well, firstly, he was shot by an arrow on the first day that he tried to do that. Uh, but his waterproof Bible stopped the arrow. In fact, he took the arrow out and gave it back to the man who tried to shoot him, is what he did. Um, and then the second day that he made a, another attempt to befriend the people on the island and gain acceptance to live there, uh, we believe that he was shot and killed that day. Um, his body has not been able to be recovered, uh, but we believe that he was killed by the islanders on that day. So that was a culmination of 10 years of preparation on his part. And so maybe I'll just stop there as, as the background of the story, but actually maybe even uh, an equally interesting part of the story is what happened after that. So Pam, I had the privilege of doing a mission table episode with you on this very topic. And one of the things I appreciated was learning about his preparation and my admiration for John just grew as I heard um, all that he had poured into this lifelong calling. Um, one of the questions I have is, why do you think the response was so negative initially? And it's, it is a, interesting. It was, I'll even say it was a shock to us how negative the response was uh, to what John did. Um, because all of, we, all of what we do in all nations, all of what John Chow was about, was about love. 
And even the fact that when a man tried to shoot him, he took the arrow out and just handed it back to the man, right? He deliberately chose to go in peace. He deliberately chose to go in love. And so it was a shock that the world reaction was so negative. Um, John had spent 10 years preparing to work with this people group, and people made him sound like he was kind of like a... I don't know, an Indiana Jones or maybe just an adventurer who hadn't really thought this through very deeply, but he had prepared and trained to become a wilderness EMT. He had sought out linguistics and anthropological training. He had sought biblical training. He had learned to live in the wilderness and survive on his own. And so he had been very methodically preparing over the course of a decade, ever since he had heard about these people group, uh, by just praying through lists of peoples who had never had a chance to hear the name of Jesus. And so I think that the negative reaction really happened for a couple of reasons. I mean, I'm sure we could list many reasons, uh, but I think we live in this era where news comes out, but we're not able to distinguish always between what is real news and what is fake news, so to speak. And so we're not always able to even get to the real story. And then I think, secondly, I, I think many people just don't believe that Jesus is worth dying for. I don't think that they embrace this idea that Jesus is the only way. It is a loving way. It is a beautiful way, but it is nevertheless the only way. And so I think many people rejected him for that as well. Well, I think part of it, I mean, earlier on when you talked about things that were hard in COVID, I mentioned an inconvenience. You mentioned food. And I think we forget that um, yeah. you know, where we live, where convenience reigns and safety reigns, uh, we, we, we do take on kind of a safety mentality. You may not know the answer to this, but I'd be curious, do you have any idea how those initial news reports even got legs and got, got out there? Um, you know, this, this narrative that he was naive and didn't know what he was about? You know, it's, it's interesting because when I look at the initial news reports, none of them actually came to all nations and asked us what our role or what our involvement was. Mm -hmm. And actually, even the early Christian responses to John's actions on the island, none of those people actually came to all nations, his sending agency, and even asked us any questions or even dug below the surface. So I think that the first stream that the news came out in was a secular stream. It was quite a liberal stream, actually, and they just made their underlying secular assumptions about who the man was. And then the Christians also just, you know, took what that one news source said and kind of ran with it. I think it was probably several days later, uh, honestly, through Ed Stetzer, who, to whom we will always be grateful, who really began to dig below the surface and see what was happening and really tried to get the real story out there. Hmm. Pam, as I mentioned, I was um, inspired by his story and really just encouraged by the time and energy and investment he prepared for this um, calling of his. But I wonder if there are some lessons, some takeaways, of course, honoring John's memory and his courage, but looking at it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say, is there anything that may have been done differently? And I know that's a tough question to answer, but I think some of the people listening, you know, they represent missions organizations or churches. Are there some takeaways from John's life on a practical level that may... All right, you, you kind of froze up just a second there on the end of that question. Do you, can you repeat it, Matthew? Sure. They'll have are to there that part, I guess. Yeah. Are there some practical takeaways 
Uh, I'm sure there's missions orgs that are watching this and church leaders and, of course, honoring his life, his courage. But are there some practical takeaways that they may want to consider as they send their own people to the unreached and the unengaged? Yeah, I think as people send their their own beloved, right? They send their their sons and daughters. They send the ones from their church that they love and care for, that they should do everything they can to mitigate risk. And I'm not going to go into the details of how All Nations did that, but we did. We did a lot of time, a lot of years doing research, a lot of time consulting the experts all over the world. But I think the part that we honestly weren't prepared for was what would happen in the backlash, especially the media backlash that we got. And I would say that people need to be much better on the front end of articulating not only to believers why they're doing what they're doing, uh, but also being able to, to articulate to non-believers why we do what we do um, and to prepare for that and to even practice for that. And that was the part that we in all nations had not prepared for as well as we probably should have. And we probably honestly should have had a much bigger emergency fund. Um, we had what we thought was quite a large emergency fund, but we blew through our emergency fund about four times in the course of uh, trying to deal with mostly the media backlash that happened afterwards. So I think to prepare how to share the message and then just to also prepare financially and to begin to create relationships with experts in the media, in the law, because you will need their expertise when those moments come as well. So now's the time to build those relationships. You know, I like to remind, especially uh, believers, that if you believe in freedom of speech, and if you believe in freedom of conscience, that people have a right to make their own decisions about what they believe, those two rights are part and parcel of what it means to be a missionary. And, you know, how, how anybody could so quickly jump on the bandwagon that he, that he had done something wrong because he was trying to present the message to these people who would then be free to receive it or reject it, do whatever they want with it, that, that he doesn't have a right to say those kinds of things. It, it was kind of shocking to me, too, from where I was sitting, uh, just how fast the negativism built in the church. Yeah. You mentioned Ed Stetzer, Pam, and he did a message at the Missio Nexus conference that we were both at and speakers at. And he talked about our John Allen Chow moment and how it really was this seismic shift. And he talked about... Um, you know, understanding why the secular world and the media would respond the way they did. But the surprise was the way that the church responded. C could you talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, the church's response and how you process that as an organization? Yeah, you know, Ed Stetzer's uh, thought about the entire situation has been very good and very helpful. And like I said, we've been really thankful actually for the leadership that he's provided in the midst of this discussion. He's been immensely helpful to us and all nations, and I think also the body of Christ. Um, and he helped us to define the fact that we began to realize that a lot of believers actually didn't think that Jesus is worth dying for, that a lot of people who call themselves believers don't think it's worth taking on risk for the sake of sharing the gospel. And I would say in the midst of the sifting that began to happen during that time, some people that we thought were our friends in all nations turned out to not be our friends. 
Uh, but then we also found other people that we didn't know about before who became our new friends. And we discovered that we don't want to be flippant. We don't want to be stupid. We don't want to just, you know, run headlong, headlong into danger. Uh, but that we agree that Jesus is worth it. And not only is he worth it, but the peoples of the earth are worth it. And I think that John helped us to create this defining moment where we found which side of that people were on. Well, to me, it's, it's also, this is a little self-serving, I know, because I'm with Missio Nexus, but it's another reason why we need to have a strong missions community mm -hmm. uh, so that we can rally around each other and uh, inform each other about what's really happening, uh, perhaps even behind the scenes that we might not want out there in the general public, but that we want other mission leaders to know about. Yeah. And, um, you know, now's the time for us all as leaders to be thinking about the relationships that we would rely on in times of crisis. Mm. Um, it, it is, I, I would just say this too, you know, we're in the midst of this COVID-19, I like to call it the COVID-1984 event, because it feels like we're living in the 1984 <laughs> novel these days. But um, this type of crisis was not one that any of us anticipated. We have for years had crisis training in mission agencies most of that centered around hostage taking and violent acts against mission teams in the field. And that's very legitimate. I'm not down on that. But this crisis that we're facing now is none, it's, it's unlike anything we ever prepared for in the missions world. And I will tell you that in discussions I've had with a number of mission agency leaders, they've told me, uh, especially in the early days, that they were purposefully deploying people into areas affected by the virus, but then they would say, but please do not share who we are with anybody because we don't want to have any backlash for putting people at risk that may be doing that kind of ministry. Now contrast that with the church historically, which sought to serve in plagues, in wars, you name it. Um, it it's, there's really been a uh, kind of a change in terms of this whole safety thing and how we treat and view missionary work. Yeah, w one of the things I think that surfaced um, as I thought through what happened after John Allen Chow's martyrdom was the need for a robust theology of suffering and risk in, in our churches. As you mentioned, Pam, it, you know, there was major pushback from those who are Christian, so to speak, and it, it was, uh, as uh, Ed mentioned, it was a cultural paradigm shift. Um, we have often gone to the dangerous places. We've moved towards risk and difficulty for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of loving others. But with John's situation and even with COVID, as you described, Ted, they, you know, keep this under the radar. There's now a, hey, we need to pull back. You know, um, I, I think these are interesting days. Yeah, you know, I think we take risks because we love. I actually think that love is a very risky thing. In, in every loving relationship, there's a risk, right, of rejection, of failure, of not loving well, or even our best intentions not being received. And I actually think love and risk are just tied up together. And, of course, Jesus himself said, you know, when we love, we'll be willing to give our lives uh, for other people. And he himself defined love in that way, being willing to give our last drop of who we are 
Um, and so, yeah, I think love is inherently risky. Well, you know, I moved into Bosnia with my family during just at the very end of the, the war in Bosnia. And the funny thing about it was, is from the outside, it looked like a really risky thing to do when people who weren't living in that context looked in. But from where we were, it did not feel risky in the least. In fact, when we um, came home on a couple occasions uh, for once to have a baby and then for a furlough, the Bosnians were deathly afraid that we would somehow get involved with a shooting in the U.S. or some other type of violent thing. They saw the U.S. as a violent and unsafe place. And so I think risk is also sometimes in the eye of the beholder. And uh, that what may feel really risky from an outside perspective, if you're in the midst of an event, it may not be quite as risky. But certainly we live in an era where there is so much emphasis on safety and duty of care uh, that we gotta ha we got to be asking ourselves uh, also, you know, what risks are we willing to take uh, that others may know Christ? And I, and I would sure hope that we'd be willing to take substantial risks. You know, Ted, you said something to me a couple of years ago and actually turned it into a message, the title of a message. And you talked about one of the greatest dangers. We, we face many dangers in this world, and one of the greatest of them is safety. And I don't know if that's uh, original, but boy, I love that. And Pam, you bring something up, you know, risk and um, difficulty are just a part of life. And the irony of this whole thing is we risk daily for ourselves. And yet when it comes to gospel opportunities, we shrink back from those risks. But we're, our idea is we're preserving safety, but the safety is an illusion anyway, as you pointed out, Ted. It's in the eye of the beholder. So, Pam, what would you say to church missions leaders who, you know, we live in a culture, as Ted mentioned, where we prioritize safety. It's very important to us from car seats to bicycle helmets. Um, we try and mitigate all of life's risks. And as you mentioned, when we're sending our loved ones into dangerous places, we should do everything we can. We should be prayerful. We should be wise. But we can't remove all of the risks what do you say to them to prepare for some of those challenges that accompany sending loved ones into danger? Yeah, preparing to send your loved ones into danger is very difficult. And I think for me, sometimes it hasn't hit me until I've driven somebody to the airport and dropped them off and thought, I just sent this person into a really dangerous situation and I love them and I care for them. And, you know, to, to see the the tears that used to stream down my parents' face when I would leave and go to the mission field and knowing that I, I was going to a dangerous and difficult place, uh, I think we need to recognize that our emotions are a part of it, and that's okay. Uh, but be willing to actually have open and frank discussion about those emotions instead of just requiring people to, to only be like, Jesus is worth it, you know, and stop there, but say, Jesus is worth it and my heart is broken because I just sent my kids to a dangerous place. Jesus is worth it, and I, my heart is broken because I just sent my grandbabies to a dangerous place. Um, to actually be willing to have those frank and open conversations while at the same time saying that Jesus is worth it. You know, yesterday, in the course of just my regular quiet time, I came across 2 Corinthians 4, and I, I wrote down some of the keywords here. Pressed on every side, knocked down, hunted down, perplexed. Um, and sometimes we just get perplexed in the midst of this, right? 
uh, constant danger. Because we love Jesus, we're in constant danger. That's actually what Paul said. And then he finishes by saying, I believed in God, therefore I spoke. And so I think we need to acknowledge all of those things, but also just talk about our hearts in the midst of it and take our broken hearts to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're going to do this. You're worth it. But we need you to heal our hearts in the midst of it. That brings us to a close on this edition of The Mission Matters with Matthew Ellison from 1615 Missions Coaching and Ted Esler, president of Missio Nexus. Our guest today was Pam Arland from All Nations. Before we close, let me give you the website for our sponsors of The Mission Matters. Please note 1615.org and missionexus.org. That's where you'll find a wealth of interesting and challenging information about the state of the Great Commission. That's 1615.org and missionexus.org. The Mission Matters is presented through a partnership of 1615 Missions Coaching and Missionexus.